Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, this is Trevor from Halifax calling in to say that I support creative control on Patreon because I think long-form arts journalism is a crucial part of music culture and there's simply not enough of it out there today. Vish is a master interviewer, he lands great guests, and he has his finger on the pulse of the ever-changing music landscape both here in Canada and abroad. For all of these reasons and many more, I think you should support creative control on Patreon too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creativecontrol today. I'm Bisha's wife, and I will love him no matter what you do. And now he has me on the record saying that. One episode of Creative Control, two separate interviews with comedians performing at JFL 42 in Toronto between September 19th and 29th. That's what I have for you today. Nicole Byer and I had a talk recently, and I'll tell you more about her in the second half of this show. But first, Andy Kindler. Andy Kindler is a remarkable and outspoken comedian who is currently based in Los Angeles, California, best known for frequent appearances as himself on the old Late Show with David Letterman and recurring acting roles on everything from Everybody Loves Raymond, Marin, and Bob's Burgers, Kindler is a hardworking road comic who fearlessly assesses and critiques the comedy industry, both in his act and in his annual State of the Industry Address at the Just for Laughs Festival in Montreal. Now, Andy will be performing his alternative show at JFL 42 in Toronto at Second City on September 25th. 26th, 27th, and 28th, and we had a good talk about comedy and cancel culture, Shane Gillis, Dave Chappelle, Jerry Seinfeld, media manipulation, his new movie, The Fiddling Horse, and much more. A part of the E1 Podcast Network with the support of listeners like you who subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control. Plus, in-kind support from CFRU 93.3 FM, Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton. This is the 497th episode of Creative Control, featuring comedians Nicole Byer a little bit later, and right now, Andy Kindler, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Andy. How's it going? Hi. Why do I sound phony now? Ah, you don't sound phony. You sound no, just No, but like... I wish I could sound like a normal human being who wasn't trying to be a comic. <laughs> Actually, I'm better than that. When I first started comedy, I, I really felt the pressure to try and be funny. But now, after many years, and I think people have seen me, I think that ship has sailed. Do you think, uh, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, for those of us who know you, Andy, the, the fact that you would feel pressure to be funny, it just seems effortless to me. Effortless. Effortless. It seems... I, I, effortlessness is a hard word to say, and I, I messed it up, but... 
You you just seem like a very. I don't think you messed it up. I think you added it. I'm telling you, in five years, if we keep it going. Webster will will, will do it. But, you know, I I, I do. Uh, I mean, not to continue the joke. I mean, I do make it look effortlessness, thisness. But the thing is, this. Uh, no, I, I don't. I don't think I do because I'm always. I I mean, I'm way more comfortable on stage than I used to be. But after 35 years, I'm still tied into the audience response. Mm. It's like I won't change my I won't change my material to get a good response. Yeah. But I still want them to re- to, uh, to respond. I think what might look not effortless but look easier is that I'm used to doing it for so long that I'm 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 somewhat comfortable uh, with not getting laughs. But no one ever is comfortable really with not getting laughs. Yeah, no, that's fair to say. Now you, uh, yeah, a lot of us are annoyed by things in life, Andy, and some of us are vociferous about that. But you are you have a particular knack for expressing your irritation with things. And I know, as we're speaking, there was some kind of Twitter thing that happened involving this comedian, this disgraced comedian that was fired from SNL. Can you talk about that a little bit? I just, Whatever you want to talk about is fine by me, but something happened between you and CNN, and I was trying to follow it. What happened? Oh, okay. Well, that was a weird thing because uh, people... People thought that I was defending the the comic, which I don't understand at all. Yeah, but, but no, and actually, I do understand it because it, if you don't know what I'm saying, it reads it quick. But the point is, Don Lemon and uh, Chris Cuomo were on on, and they were talking about uh, the Shane Gillis thing, and they were talking about the whole idea of cancel culture. And Don Lemon, uh, who really, you know, is really. Uh, I feel bad for him because uh, he, he doesn't he he doesn't uh, f- think enough of himself. Yeah, and I think he yeah. I think he needs to have a little self. No, the guy is really arrogant, and he starts talking about <laughs> I can't stand this cancel culture thing. And there is no such thing as a cancel culture thing. It's a thing by the I think by the right wing to say that anytime anybody says anything uh, te- uh, terrible at any point in their life, that, they're, uh, that the culture has decided that they're going to fire them. And uh, yeah. and, uh, and they start talking, and then he started saying things like, hey, if Richard Pryor was to, uh, alive today, he wouldn't, you know, he'd have trouble. No, he wouldn't. Richard Pryor would have been fine in the 1800s, the 1900s, and, you know. So, that, that's, so, that's, uh, so that's just totally wrong. And look, Trevor Noah said things on his Facebook thing that I didn't, I mean, on his uh, Twitter account, I didn't love what he, what he said, but people, and he apologized for it. He's still on the air. Yeah. There are people still, you know, Joy Reid, who I'm a big uh, fan of, was on MSNBC. They found old things that she said that were homophobic. That That's not who she is now. So it's like, but, but the idea, so, so, so Don Lemon is making, he's pretending to be a journalist and he's saying he's tired of this cancel culture thing, which is not even a real thing. He's just decided to, to make it up, and the reason why they, they do that is because if because the reason why they do it is like that, that guy Shane. I haven't listened. Did you listen to what Shane Gillis said? Yeah, I, I watched the video that was circulating. Sure, yeah. Okay, well, uh, I'm going to give the guy the. I don't really have an opinion. I mean, I only I didn't see it, but to me, it's like it, it, those don't sound like they were jokes. They just sound like those guys were just being idiots. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I don't uh, I don't know if that you know that's not protected. And also the thing is that doesn't mean you get to keep your SNL job. And also I think people like that who want to say things sometimes use they don't use the N word because they know they couldn't get a, a, a away with that but they might use the c word about chinese people because there aren't enough chinese people to get upset right you know so right, right. but you know what did you think of what they what did you think they were doing i mean were, were they just being idiots yeah or were they making a social point well this is this is the rub of it uh it was contextualized as a comedy routine as two guys right. on a comedy podcast and i look up to you andy because of your state of the comedy union addresses your your incisive analysis of the year that was you do these at jfl how long have you been doing those by the way 20 i think we decided it was 24 years 23 years something like that every year you go to montreal and you talk about uh the state of comedy and you are you are uh i don't want to use the word ruthless because that makes it sound like you're pandering to provoke people or something i think you're honest and you talk about the state of comedy. So what I'm struggling with these days, and this followed the Chappelle special uproar. This followed whatever else. I think you look at these things from uh, the, the perspective of a comedian and a comedy fan. And is this funny on some level? Is that right. fair? Is that fair? 
That's exactly what. That's exactly uh, how I do look at it. Yes. Right, but you're also a concerned citizen, and the the social fabric of the country you live in, America, is unraveling. And I'm trying, to, and I think it's a high praise to comedy that it's in the crosshairs so often now. People, I think, actually do respect comedians and the things, the thoughtful things they say. And when one of them says something that they don't think is thoughtful, they lose their minds. And right. So I'm trying yes. to figure out where, what the, what is the comedy problem here? I'm. That's what I'm struggling with. I'll tell you. I, I, here's what I. Th- there is no. There is no. There is no. Well, there's two things. You know, the public shaming thing. Yes. Is a thing where people, you know, like uh, the famous story. Not the famous. Story, some so, a PR person said something horrible she thought was funny, and then she got to Africa and she got fired from her job because she was a PR person. And so sometimes it's a public shaming. You go, oh, you know, it's too bad that this had to happen. That everything. That everything ended. You know, because of one stupid statement. Right. But in this case, this is not like a. Uh, there is no comedy issue. The issue is that people have the right. It's like I used to hate when like Louis C.K. and and, uh, and other comics would go. You have the right to say anything you want on stage, and and, and, and that's a magic eraser place where whatever you say is valid because it's on a comedy stage. Yeah, that's not true. Yeah. you have the right to say what you ha- we say, and people have the right to hate it. And I don't think I don't mean that people have the right to heckle you if they're if, if other people are paid money to see you in a club and someone just wants to heckle you, but they certainly have the right to say what you're doing stinks. Right. And that and, and the fact and and, and the, to me that's free speech. And the fact that you're going to go, oh, you know, you want the people who, who are against that, they want free speech to say what they want, but they don't want anybody to complain about it. And I'm sure they're they're scared that the complaining will lead to them being. Uh, fired or whatever, right. but it just depends on what it is. I hate Sean Hannity. I hope everybody who advertises on Sean Hannity pulls their shows off of of his show. Yeah, the ass. Yeah. Uh, so I agree a hundred percent. These things were never before addressed because uh, white people, of which I am a reluctant member, <laughs> and I've always said, like, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. I've, I've tweeted stuff online. And I go. I don't like white people. They smell funny and all these types of things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then some of these right-wing groups have tried to then show that uh, as an example of me being a racist, but you, can't, you just can't do it. You can't, obviously, I'm white. People know I don't hate myself. It's the same thing with being, with being, with being Jewish. You obviously know uh, I don't hate Jews if I make fun of Jews. Of course, some people use their background to then go after other groups, and that's a whole other, uh, that's a whole other thing. But I'm totally thrilled that these people who felt voiceless before and were just uh, uh, trampled on in every art form, including comedy, get to say, no, I don't like it. Yeah, that's fair. I, I guess what I wonder is, are comedians being held to a standard that is unfair for people who are ostensibly telling jokes? Like, I don't agree with anything I heard from this guy who was fired. And there are certainly things about the Ch- Ch- Chappelle special, for example, that I was like, I will admit, I laughed at a bunch of stuff in that special, and some of it I was like, oh, man, that's not that great. But I think I reacted the way you do with comedy, viscerally. Like, I laughed or I didn't laugh. Now we're getting into this gray area, Like, and I know you do this. Like, is it funny? Is this actually comedy? Why are Chris Cuomo and Don Lemon pontificating about comedy? What gives them the background to do that, right? Well, Right. Well, the thing is, they don't have the right to compete. Well, they have the right. I'm but sorry. Everyone has the right. Sure. Everyone has the right. Oh, wait a second. You just, you just brought up something that I'm going to look into. Maybe I could pass a thing. No, but they're, uh, but they're just, they're just trying to, they don't, what they're trying to do, you know, some of what they were talking about was just natural things. You know, they were saying like, whatever. I mean, not everything they said, they said was horrible. But the thing that, that, that you're saying is that like this could, it, yes, it could be a problem. But here's the deal. It's like, I don't know, you know, like Saturday Night Live does not have to put this person on. Sure. And Saturday Night Live does not have to respond to the criticism. Uh, but they chose to respond to the criticism and they chose to say that this guy, uh, they don't want him on the show. Uh, I think it's it's going to be a case by case basis of how this goes, you know? Sure. It's like, so, so, but maybe I missed exactly what you said. So I have ADD and I have. Well, uh, it was, it's a, it's a convoluted question. I guess I'm wondering if a comedian like like, says a joke about 
let's say the LGBTQ community. Let's just say they make a joke. Oh, you mean are you and you referring to Chappelle? Like, well, I, I, a, I'm just citing an example of a comedian. That's a perfect example. Go ahead. For example, now I remember. Now, okay. The point is, is like, yes, I can get if there's something Chappelle could say tomorrow that could make me enraged if he says it, right? Sure. And I still love and I still love Chappelle. Right. So then it's like, then what do you do with that information? You know, it's like I think it's I think sometimes. People can I, can say things and have, they have a tremendous blind spot, and then you have to decide: Do you really want to throw out all Dave Chappelle with the Dave Chappelle water? Right, right. right. But the other, but the the, the the confusing part of it is, be, you know, because he's Dave Chappelle, that doesn't mean he gets to not be criticized if he does say something horrible. Right, right, right sure. Sure. So that's confi- I'm not saying right like you're not getting it. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm, trying to figure, I'm trying to figure it out for myself. I think it's a difficult issue. I don't think it's a clean thing. And and when you were watching Dave Chappelle and you and you, and you hit those points where you went, oh, I don't know about this. You, part of you did say, I don't know. You know. It's like you really had a reaction. I haven't seen the special, but you really had a reaction yeah. to it's kind of not cool. And if it's really like a. Uh, uncool, like he, like he, if he all of a sudden just, um, I, I'd kill my kid if he was gay, and I'm not kidding. Then maybe people wouldn't wa- watch Dave Chappelle anymore. So it's like, it's like, it's like he is a hilarious comedian, so he gets a lot of free reign. Yeah. And I wouldn't, and I wouldn't want to just say I'll never listen to Dave Chappelle again. But I don't, I can't predict how people are going to get two or three years from now. Well, yeah, it's like, yeah, that... people became Nazis, uh, like uh, Ezra, not Ezra Klein. <laughs> One of these, uh, who was that famous, uh, uh, who wrote, uh, Proofrock? That guy, I think, became oh. like a, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, T.S. Eliot, yeah, maybe not him, right? Somebody became, uh, became terrible towards the end of their life. Well, or here, here's the thing that my friend and I were discussing the other day about this, and he, he made this observation about people like Chappelle and Seinfeld. I don't know. He on the, the comedians in cars now becomes this painful thing where he's trying to provoke politically correct people, like what he views as progressive politically correct people with stupid jokes, right? And yes. and, and purposely inflammatory jokes. And my friend's observation: we're both grew up Seinfeld, Chappelle fans. He's like, I don't understand these guys. When did anyone ever complain about their jokes before they started whining about how their jokes are just jokes? I don't. Well, you know what? This, you're bringing up something that is exactly true. I talked about this years, uh, three years ago at, at Montreal when Seinfeld Seinfeld had come up with this joke where he goes, uh, "You know, I'm operating my phone like a gay French king." You know, and then he and then it's not like anyone booed him, but they didn't laugh as loud as he'd want. So now he thinks, "Oh, oh, now the world's changed. I can't do my gay French king joke." Uh-huh. Yeah, well, maybe your gay French king joke just sucks, Jerry. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> just drop it. And so the thing is, he he he's been doing this. Uh, he's been doing this thing like uh, uh, where he's pretending as if what what is happening is affecting what what he is 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 doing. But it's not affecting what he's doing, and 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 he's also delegitimizing. For example, like he did, he was like, I can't play. He was like, I don't play colleges anymore. Well, he never played colleges. Yeah. And the, and and and, it's, and and I just was talking about this on another show. This is just a lie that you go on college campuses and kids are all triggered, and the media is bought into it. Right. It's like you got these guys, Richard Spencer. He's a white supremacist. As a college student, I don't have to listen to Richard Spencer uh, talk about white supremacy. I have the right to. I have the right to heckle him. Yeah. So it's a really it's a really phony issue. And I think it's because Jerry Seinfeld is like kind of I don't know why. I don't know why he's so angry. He's he, you know, he's wealthy. But it's it's a phone. What's it called? Like it's a, it's a red herring, I guess. Right. He, he, he is. One. That is the right word. Like that show, which started out as kind of a lark, is very angry now. Every episode that I've seen in the last two seasons and I have to watch this show for. Uh, journalistic purposes, and so I watch it, and he's just—he's very. I mean, he's always. I mean, you, I think at the root of certain comedians, there's rage, there's pain, and there's anger. And he had his unique kind of anger. It was sort of, uh, you know, innocuous, like he was making observations or whatever. But I think he was honestly very angry. And you know, you've got some anger issues, Andy. Do you mind me saying? 
That's absolutely not true. I am the nicest. I don't. Uh, I didn't say you were mean. I just think you. I were... no. I was kidding. Was, <laughs> was my acting that good? Yeah, know. absolutely. People have been saying recently that they're they're believing what I'm saying. Yet I don't get any parts. No, I'm <laughs> extremely angry. And there's been times in my in my career that I've been rageful and yelling at the crowd and and all of these different things. And I've had to uh, moderate certain things. And I've had to. Because everybody has the op- everybody you, you, because you're a comedian, that doesn't mean that you might not. It, because of the community, because you're a comedian, even more because you're taking risks, you may say something that you then realize, okay, I did, uh, I went too far, yeah, and and so and so like I ha- the idea that you can't apologize. That's why I despise Ricky Gervais. Right, he he can't say he can't say anything. Like a couple of weeks ago, he weighs in on Antifa and said, like, I don't, you know, it's like. Without knowing that it's a phony issue, like maybe there are Antifa people who are who are doing horrible things, but they're anti-fascism. It's, it has nothing to do with white. They're not like the white supremacists. It's not a both sides thing. Yeah, it's right in the name. I don't understand the Antifa yeah, thing exactly. going on. It's if you say it, say you sound like an idiot criticizing it. Yeah, if you were white supremacist, if you would said uh, 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 white de 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 whites are worse, whites are worse. If that was your organization, then people wouldn't accuse you all the time. Right, right. Well, all I'm getting at, and I'm sure you've seen it, is that I do think that taking I I, I don't want to side with anyone that I disagree with in terms like this these these guys who got the one guy who got let go of SNL. I didn't hear anything in what they were saying that was funny. It seemed juvenile and stupid, but. At the same time, well, no, that's a bad example. I just think that people are attacking the nuance of jokes as though they are profound and true statements in a weird way now. Is that fair? No, that is, that is exactly fair. That is exactly fair. Well, I'll give you a perfect example. My friend Sam Cedar. You know Sam Cedar? Uh, yes, I know of him, yeah. Yeah, well, Sam Cedar is a, it was a hilarious uh, comic. And then he does this show. So once uh, he, he he had done a sarcastic thing about Roman Polanski, uh, uh, you know, I forget the exact joke, but it was obviously he was making the opposite statement using humor about his own <laughs> about his own kids, and they and they actually fired him from MSNBC. Yes. But then there was such an uproar that he got rehired. So yes, this is a problem, and especially when you have. Uh, the right wing in our country, which is uh, just uh, basically, I think, evil, they love to then turn around and go, oh, this person said this. They did that with Leslie Jones. They they, they, they missed, uh, read, wrote what she said. So, yes, it's, it is definitely a problem to be to be watched out for. But I don't know exactly. So I, I think what I'm saying is I acknowledge both sides, but not but in the Shane Gillis thing. Uh, you know, maybe that maybe 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 this guy's the funniest guy in the world, and he he's not a racist, and he would never use those words normally, and he loves Jews, and so he should have been on the show. Yeah, and in that case, it's sad. Okay, <laughs> maybe maybe it's sad. I think there is. I, it's a very complicated issue. You know what I found myself doing, which I never do, is looking at the comments from his supporters under every tweet. Like if if the if Variety posted a story about him being fired, I actually it kept myself up stupidly just reading his supporters' comments, and that's in itself strange, that people are just like, no, you don't get it, he's doing a character, whatever. It's conf- it's a bit confusing because there are comedians that, who we've talked about who I would take their side on an issue if it involved a joke. Right. So right. anyway, I, I don't know where I'm going with it either. I don't know what the solution is. I, I, I don't know what the solution is either, but like, for example... Like uh, 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 Ricky Gervais is always trying to uh, see. I think Ricky Gervais is like a fat, you know, I, like for example, one of the issues that I never was uh, that even was aware of was this whole fat shaming thing, yeah. which is like people, which is like a real issue, which is like people are being uh, told. First of all, there, uh, there's uh, there's all kinds of science saying that uh, this whole idea that that diets can can make you less obese and all these things it's all it, that's all nonsense. Hmm. So there are these people like Ricky Gervais who's just basically bullying uh, heavy people, and then he wants to and then and then he wants to say it's a joke, it's a joke. And if you read the comments under Ricky Gervais's uh, tweets, whether it's about because he hates you know he claims he's not a bigot, but yet. 
all of his friends are Islamophobes. You know, so it's like if you look at the comments underneath, you learn something. You learn that oh. these are hor- horrible people who hate people based on their weight or hate them because they're Muslims. But they have these fallings. I, I engaged with Ricky Gervais once on Twitter. You know, he was, tweeted something, and I sarcastically tweeted back at him, are you an atheist? And <laughs> Which I thought was funny. And yeah, all, yeah, yeah. all of his supporters just lost it. Are you an idiot? Like, you don't get it. Have you ever yeah. heard him? Have you ever listened to him? And just like did not get it. And that one one of fifty was like, I'm pretty sure he's joking. Uh, so yeah, the followings are just as scary. We see, I see it with your president currently. Just the the don't bl- call. Uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I did not. I'm from Canada. He's your guy. He's not our yeah, guy. Yeah, your but your guy. It's your fault. Yeah, it's, somehow. I, your I, fault. I don't think it's my fault. I didn't Why do did you do it? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, he is our president. Your country's I'm president. Yes. Right. It, it, I'm I, it, I don't know. This is bigger picture. Did you you did your State of the Union uh, obviously already for the year? Are you gonna do what are you doing at JFL forty two? I don't even know. You're doing your stuff? Just normal stuff? Oh yeah, just regular regular stand up and then I host uh, something called the Alternative Show, which of course. was a, a misnamed show. It was good named well in the nineties, but now I said one of the encouraging things is I think comedy has never been better than it is now. I mean when I started uh, people like Rosie O'Donnell couldn't say they were gay. Yeah. I mean, they could, but they, you know, Ellen DeGeneres. And now you, you don't even have to start uh, uh, your act with, I know what you're thinking. Am I from Africa? Well, no, but it's like there are all kinds of uh, the the great the diversity will win out unless uh, Trump uh, destroys the planet. So so you're hitting upon something that I think we are experiencing more and more. You touched upon it already. There are media constructs that if you don't go out into the real world and go see your alternative show, you're going to think comedy is a certain way right now because of how it's portrayed in the media, how much they fixate on the controversies. And uh, it's very divisive coverage on some level. I feel like in the subtext of almost everything we've been talking about is comedy is under attack by the mainstream media. So I think people yes. need to go to your show and go out and, and actually experience what it's like because you're. I think it's never been more popular. It feels like it's impossible for me to say that, but I haven't been around for all of time. But comedy feels popular, right? Yes, and the thing is this: you know exactly what you're saying. I, and I'll give you an example of how I've changed. I wrote this uh, thing called the Hack Comic Handbook in 1991, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. right? And I gave examples <laughs> of hack comedy, and like I used to hate. Uh, I'm not hate, but I used to basically not like uh, comics who were like filthy because I thought it was uh, gratuitous. Mm-hmm. But there are people talking about stuff today that, uh, like Lisa Traeger, is one of my favorite comics, mm-hmm. and she talks about everything. She talks about her vagina. She talks about well, that's not like edgy, but she's 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 hilarious. <laughs> it didn't sound edgy the way you said it, by the way. I, I imagine but, coming out of her mouth, it might be edgy. Just the way you said it just sounded almost friendly. She talks about her vagina. <laughs> <laughs> and she's brilliant, and I don't care. And so, in other words, it's even and it's even changed my sensitivity to words, you right? Know? Or right. someone like Dave Attell. You can you can make any comedy rule in the world that you want, and then uh, uh, Dave Attell is doing a ten minute bit about little little persons, which is actually he doesn't call them little persons, but the but when you look at the joke. He's basically it's kind of a Randy Newman thing, you know, where yeah. like it is it really like. He's taking this this group and he's claiming he hates them, right? You know, right? <laughs> Which does does show up the ridiculous of racism. Now, Dave also is just uh, you know, like years ago he looked. Uh, uh, there were these uh, Latino people in the crowd and they looked upset and he said to them, uh, "What's the matter? Did Selena die again?" <laughs> You know, it's like, Man. This, this is what this guy does. And, and, and like, you might see a show by him or whatever and people that I love. And I might not, exactly what you said about Chappelle, I might not love every line, but I, 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 that, but I still love those comedians. But it, but the other part of it is it's not fixed. It doesn't mean that no matter what a, a com- comedian X says in the future, because they're geniuses, you have to then accept it and not complain about it. So it's, it, you know, it's like, uh, uh, but you, what you're saying is absolutely right because it's that mainstream. It's the same thing as the media doing 
both lying about both sides. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like uh, what's happening. The media can't wait to get into this. Oh, these comics! Look what these comics are doing. It's the same thing. They they jumped all over the all comics can't say what they want on college campuses because the kids are too sensitive. That was just a total. That was a right wing uh, propaganda campaign. I think comedians are more envied than almost any other form. I, I really do. I think comedians are the leaders. They write their own stuff. They're out on their own. I think a lot of people resent the courage that that takes, the courage and the talent that that takes, and I think they lash out. And that's what I'm... But again, I think this is a media construct. When I go to see comedy, I'm not feeling that. I'm, in a, I'm experiencing something. I'm experiencing something in a holistic way. I'm not just processing the soundbite about it. You know what I mean? Well, I wish I could say it better than you just said it, but you're more articulate. And now you're going to get mad when I tell you that you're more articulate than me. You're going to go, no, you're not, Andy. You're a genius. You're a genius, Andy. You're a genius. Exactly what you said is exactly the truth. It's a media construct, and that's not what's happening in the real world. Right. All right. Well, Andy, I I always appreciate the last time you were on the show— it was episode 174, and it was the year 2015. And here we are, almost at 500 episodes. And uh, it's just great to speak with you in the year 2019 and know that you're still going strong. So you, we talked about JFL 42. What's coming up next for you beyond that? You're in a movie. Uh, Aren't you in a movie? I'm in a movie called The Fiddling Horse. I don't even really know. I just don't even believe it's going to come out because I've never was in a movie before. And, I, and this guy wrote this part, and it's called Barry Bitterman. Oh, but it's it's me. The part is me. I, that seems like a stretch. That seems like a stretch for you to be Barry so, Bitterman. And the premise is is that I am an ex jockey who uh, got uh, banned for life because I bailed uh, because I bailed off a horse. Uh, and it's uh, and the thing that I love about it is I'm five five and a half, and I really may have been like it could have been like a jockey was just slightly too tall right you're there's the barely any method going on you were just acting like yourself you you could yes. be yourself right okay i didn't have to do my usual pre- preparation and <laughs> that i do so when is this film dude i've i've seen tweets about it it seems to be uh, coming out soon i or? think it's coming out uh, 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 there's a th- there's a thing called the chelsea festival film festival uh-huh. which i was not aware of and i think it's going to premiere there in in uh, in a month i think this so is that's in, what i'm hoping this is in new york yes okay just making sure it could have been another chelsea just making sure no it's there the, okay because there is yeah the, oh. the, the new york chelsea well congratulations a film andy you're doing well i'm very happy myself <laughs> <laughs> okay anything else one Any- no but it was wonderful talking to you this is really really good we must talk more often i Are think you be, you're not going to be in toronto right yeah i will I'm, i live in guelph ontario i live about an hour from toronto i'm planning to oh, come, come okay. to i'm coming to your show i'm planning to come to your okay you have my phone number and all that kind of stuff absolutely right? i'll send you okay. i'll send you a note or a, a text or something is there a bit of yours that we can go out on andy so people can hear you in action is there something from yes. one of your records oh uh, yeah here's, here's one of my Here's a here's a here's one of my jokes. This was this was at number five with a bullet once. No, the joke <laughs> is I'm not looking. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. For a massage with a happy ending, I'm looking for a cliffhanger. <laughs> I want a tearjerker. I want a... Massage with a soprano style ending. <laughs> well, that was I didn't. Ex- I thought you were going to throw to a recorded bit, but you actually did a bit. I've never had that happen before, Andy. You are <laughs> consummate professional, full of surprises, uh, a happy ending in its own way. I was not expecting that at the end of this. So, 
Uh, people should follow you on Twitter and stuff, right? Yeah, Twitter's the main thing because my website, if you want to know what my tour dates were in 2005, go to my website. <laughs> and you're just Andy Kindler on the Twitter? Yeah, Andy Kindler, so that's that's a good thing. Andy, it's a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much. Right back best, at you. Best of luck with everything. You got it. Thank yep. you so much. Nicole Byer is a hilarious comedian currently based in Los Angeles, California. Originally from New Jersey, Byer is a well-regarded stand-up who hosts the funny Netflix baking contest show, Nailed It, and also hosts a number of podcasts, including the very popular Why Won't You Date Me? On September 20th, Byer is performing at the Queen Elizabeth Theater as part of JFL 42 in the evening, but she'll also be recording an episode of Why Won't You Date Me at 11.30 a.m. that same day, September 20th, at the TIFF Lightbox Theater. She and I caught up recently to discuss her various endeavors, pole dancing, the state of comedy in cancel culture, and much more. So please enjoy myself with the very funny Nicole Byer on Creative Control. Hi, Nicole. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Where in the world are you right now? I'm in L.A. Oh, nice. Is that where you, is that where you live? Yes, I do. I live in L.A. And how long have you been there? I've been in L.A. for, I believe, six years. Six years? Okay. By the way, this is not a Canadian border crossing interrogation thing. I just, uh, I, I wonder if you like L.A., I suppose. Yes, I do. I love L.A. L.A. is, um... It's home. It's uh, sunny. It's great. I like LA. <laughs> good, good. That's good. And, and uh, you're in your car now. I, I take it. Yes. Okay. Where Where are you? Where are you heading? I am headed to a pole dancing class. A a a pole dancing class. Okay, that's a new one for for me. How long have you been doing that? About a year this month. <laughs> okay, a year, and and clearly you enjoy it. Uh, uh, what What got you into pole dancing? I had taken, my friend Gilly had done, she's got this show at UCB called Getting Gross with Gilly, and she does, like, new things, so, like, she got a group of friends together, and we took, like, a private class or whatever, and then my friend Eleanor started taking pole dancing around last year, I think, and she was, like, posting videos on her Instagram, and I was like, Eleanor, this is really fucking cool. Uh, where do you take classes? I want to take classes. We take one with me. And she said, sure. She told me the studio she went to. Um, and then I think she came with me to my first class or, like, my second class. I don't remember. Hmm. Uh, but, yeah, like, uh, it's just it's the hardest thing I've ever done, and I really enjoy it. Now, what, what has surprised you the most about pole dancing? I think all of us have a perception about pole dancing. Or not all of us. Maybe some people don't think about it at all. But those of us who, <laughs> those of us who have pondered pole dancing probably have a perception about it. What surprised you the most about it? How much strength it takes. Are you doing the whole... It, you, you're, you're, you're hanging on the pole? You're, you're dancing on the pole? Is that what you're doing? Yeah. I mean, I, I just learned how to climb. So, like, that's incredibly hard. That takes a lot of strength. Hmm. But, yeah, you know, dancing uh, routines, spins. Yeah, just a bunch of what, like, what you see at a strip club is what I'm learning how to do. Right. Now, that's that brings me to the question. Some people explore pole dancing for the exercise, for the fitness, for the strength training. Other people, I think there's that, but there's also the, the sexual connotation, you know, the, the, the playfulness. Maybe it's for your sex life a little bit. Is there something going on there with you with both things or is it more about the fitness it's not even about the fitness i just like it it's cool it <laughs> looks cool um and as an actor also as a comedian i think it's really great to be in touch with your body hmm. and learn what your body can and cannot do sometimes i want to do like a physical act out and it's nice to know how far you can push your body uh but truly i'm just it's really impressive uh if you look up like pole dancing hashtags on Instagram, they shadow ban it because it's too sexy, I guess. Right. But uh, it's really incredible what some of these women can do and men can do with their bodies. And 
Uh, a lot of it isn't sexy. A lot of it is just really fucking cool and strong. Uh, yeah, I just, I like it. I like it a lot. I wish when people talked about exercise, it wasn't just like, you should go for a run so you don't get fat. I think when we talk about exercise, you should say, you should move your body because it feels good and you should find a way to move your body that you enjoy. Yeah, that that makes total sense to me. Yeah, I appreciate what you're saying. Now, uh, often I have guests on my show and I will tell them based on their work that I feel like I know a lot about them. But you, as a comedian who I admire and whose work I follow, I feel like I know a whole lot about you, more than maybe I know about other people. I want to ask you, first of all, about your podcast, Why Won't You Date Me? I mean, maybe the reason for this podcast is right in the title, but can you tell people who haven't heard this show what inspired it, what's it all about? What inspired it is my friend John Gabris and I happened to be at the airport I don't remember if we were on the same flight or not, but we were talking and he was like, Nicole, you should really do a podcast. Uh, You know, people love them. People come to live shows. It's a great way to like, you know, build your fan base. And, you know, you're so funny. You should have more people come to your shows. And I was like, I don't even know what kind of podcast I would do. And he was like, you should do one where you talk about love and sex and like interview people about it. Like interview dudes you hooked up with. And I was like, cool. So then (laughs) I was like, that's a great idea. And then, Pitched it to HeadGum, the network I'm on, Jake and Amir, long time in the podcasting space, and they do, like, internet videos and used to do stuff at College Humor. They were, like, super into the idea, and they've been, like, really fucking supportive. And then, at first, it was a thing where I was like, I'm going to do this, so, like, it drives people to my stand-up shows. Now, I genuinely like doing it. I think it's fun and interesting. I've run out of dudes who agree to get on it and talk about me, Uh, so now I'm just interviewing, like, comedians and people who I think are fun and that I admire. Uh, Yeah, it's just been like this really cool experience and I really like doing it and it resonates with a lot of people because, you know, a lot of people are single out there and they want to know why. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, you reveal a lot about yourself. Uh, I was listening to the Fortune Feimster episode and she seems surprised by your position on your own sexual orientation, I thought. That's what I heard in her voice. Uh, Have you learned a lot about yourself in revealing things about yourself on this show? No, because it's stuff I talk, like I thought, like my stand-up is pretty, I talk a lot about myself and my experiences as like, you know, a fat black woman and like dating and whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, like talking to people from like years ago who I like hooked up with who were like, you had walls up, you weren't emotionally available. All that stuff, I was like, I mean, it's not like you opened a door and I, like, get it. It was like, oh, yeah, I was in, like, a, an interesting headspace in my early 20s. Mm. Uh, yeah, so I don't know if anything's been revealed. You don't feel like you, but you, but you are, are you self-aware to know that you reveal a lot about yourself that some people would be too shy to, to talk about in terms of their own lives? I guess. I don't know. I don't. <laughs> I don't. I'm, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I. I don't think I share that much. Okay. Okay. These are things you talk about uh, with your friends, I assume. But can you talk a little bit about how you got into comedy and found your voice, so to speak? I started doing so. Like, I went to acting school, and I truly just googled how do what do actors do when they're not acting, <laughs> and something came up that was like improv. So I said, okay, I've done improv. I did that in school. Um, I was fun, funny at it. Uh, why don't I try to do that? So then I started taking classes at UCB, and things kind of just, like, spiraled from there. And everybody at the theater who, like, performed and whatnot also did, like, commercial work and stuff and TV spots here and there. And I was like, oh, okay, so maybe this is a way in to get people to see me. Right. And then and everyone at the theater was so fucking funny. So I spent a long time just truly being like how am I funny what what do I want to talk about so like and it was just great to meet like minded people my dear friend Sashir Zameda I met her at UCB and then we started collaborating so it was just great to meet people who were just trying to be funny and then um after I started doing improv and sketch I started doing stand-up right and your collaboration with Sashir what did that consist of exactly Uh, We do shows together. We've been improvising together for about a decade, and we do a podcast together called Best Friends on Earwolf, 
and we write together. We had done a web series uh, a while ago at this point, and we like still write now. Okay, cool. So you're also on the show Nailed It. Is that still going on? <laughs> yeah, we were nominated for an Emmy. Congratulations. Uh, That's great. That's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, the show's still going on. Uh, we have holiday episodes and uh, regular episodes. I believe we're in the, uh, I think we've had, oh my God, there are six episode seasons, so it's hard to keep track of <laughs> how many seasons are out. Uh, but yeah, hopefully we'll do more. I think we will, since we got nominated, which is, like, really cool and awesome. Yeah, no, that's great. Congratulations. I'm, I'm calling you from Canada, and sometimes our American and Canadian Netflixes can be a bit different, but I, I, I think there's at least three seasons of this show. There's probably more, right? Yeah, I think there's three normal seasons, and then maybe two holiday seasons? I honestly, I can't tell you. <laughs> so for those who haven't seen this show, can you talk about it and summarize your role on it? Yeah, I host a baking competition show where we ask people to recreate, like, beautiful, intricate confections, treats that were made by, like, <laughs> this woman, Charity, and her team of people over the course of, like, a couple days, and we give them, like, an hour to recreate it, and uh, the people truly never recreate it in a way that looks good, but they're all just so funny, <laughs> and... They make me laugh so hard. It's a very silly show where I think the message is like, try, just try it. What's the worst that could happen? It looks wild, and then we can all have a giggle. <laughs> Does it speak to some problem we may have as a society where we think we can do more than we really can? Yeah. I mean, all the time people, like, there was a football player who retired, and people were like, he's a pussy, and it's like, no, he's a better athlete than you'll ever be, and he made a choice for his life and his career. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, people always think they, they know more than you or they can do better than you. Uh, but, like, it takes practice. You have to, like, really craft your craft. Yeah, absolutely. Do you do you relate to any of the contestants on Nailed It in terms of their, <laughs> man, I don't want to say delusion, but their feeling that they can, they can I, I got this, I got this. Can you relate to that feeling? I mean, not with baked goods. I am not trying to bake anything because <laughs> there's too much cleanup. But, uh, I mean, being an actor, being a comedian, you're delusional to get on stage and be like, I'm funny and a group of people are going to want to hear what I got to say. <laughs> I hear you commenting on Nailed It where you're like, I think, uh, I don't know if that's going to be ready in time. Like, you seem to have picked up some expertise. Are you bluffing or do you actually know a little bit about baking? I mean, it's pretty common sense. You just got to read the directions. <laughs> if, if you have an hour to bake something and it takes 30 minutes to bake, you got to get your cake in the oven at least 20 minutes into the challenge, you know, so it can cool down. And It's not rocket science. Yeah, that's true. The math is, is pretty self-evident. You're correct there. There are... Bad cooking, like bad cook shows, bad uh, driving shows, like people who can't drive, people who can't build houses. Is there another realm that you can think of that would be fun to explore in terms of how bad people are at them, but, you know, they're delusional, they think they can do it? Can you think of another idea that might be fun? I'm not going to give you a free idea. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I guess I'm curious if you'd like to see a show and not necessarily host it or conceive of it, but if, if you could think of another realm that is similar, I guess. Uh, crafting. Crafting, yeah, yeah. People think they can craft. That's true, that's true. Ch child raising, People, everyone thinks they can raise a child. Ugh, that would be awful. I don't think I can raise a child. <laughs> it's not uh, easy. I have two. It's not that uh, easy, I have to say. I have to say. You are uh, due to come to Canada soon. Uh, do you like coming to Canada? I love coming to Canada. It's fun. I was just in Montreal this year. I was in Montreal last year as well. I think I was in Toronto this year, or maybe that was last year too. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I love coming to Canada. I like Vancouver. Vancouver is beautiful. I like Edmonton. People are always like, why do you like Edmonton? I like it. Yeah, my wife's from Edmonton. I go there almost once a year now. I've grown to really like it. It's nice. Yeah, it's cute. There's good thrift stores there. Yeah. So as a, you're from New Jersey originally, is that right? Correct. Right. So you, I'm just curious about your perspective on Canada 
as a Northeastern American, if that makes sense. Uh, someone who's kind of cl- you were kind of close to Canada. You're familiar with our climate. Do you have a perspective on the distinctions between Canada and the U.S. per se? Like, do you feel them when you come into Canada? Um, I mean, Montreal is super French, and that feels insane. <laughs> Have you thought about moving here? Sometimes I speak to Americans and they're like, man, I, there's only so much I can take living in America. I might move to Canada. Have you ever had that thought? No. You're fine? You're okay down there? I think so. I mean, it is nice that y'all have health care and stuff. Uh, and it's funny, I have an abortion joke in my act. And last time I did it, I was like, it didn't get the response that I get here. And I was like, wait, is abortion legal here? And some lady in the audience went, we love abortion. And that made me laugh so hard. <laughs> I, I, I can't say that that's something Canadians tout generally, that we love abortions. But uh, yeah. No, but she was making a point that like you guys <laughs> understand that women should be able to choose what they do with their bodies. Absolutely. No, that's fair. Okay, so you don't, you're not in, you don't like like Canada, but you like Canada. You're not going to come here for too long. That's your plan. You, you, it's just the neighbor to the north. You're happy in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, so far so good. Yeah. Are you generally comfortable with the... I shouldn't even frame it that way. The political climate in your country can't be comfortable, though. Do you have perspectives on what's going on? As we're speaking, your president started a war with Christine Teigen. That's, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem normal. Nothing that man does is normal. It is so wild. It's like a fucking freak show. Hmm. It's really just it's depressing to think about it's depressing that he was elected it's depressing that he'll probably get reelected. nobody took him seriously and you have to take people see like when people say they're going to do something you should take them seriously yeah i it's just it's really fucking wild <laughs> I, it's depressing to talk about i'm really hoping we get a candidate who can beat him He's not for me, and if you like him, that's great, but, like, I just, I can't get behind a dude who's so misogynistic, so xenophobic, and so racist, and homophobic. Like, he's got, he truly checks all the boxes of somebody that you, like, don't want to hang out with. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, does his, does that stuff enter your act in any way? We've talked about how personal you are in your comedy and, and what you've kind of chosen to talk about, so to speak. Uh, do you talk much about sort of the political climate? I used to. When he was first elected, it was so polarizing that, like, it almost felt like you were insane. To It was like if you were in front of a uh, car accident and you never mentioned the car accident, you just went about your life normally, you're a sociopath. Like, you, it was like a, you ha- I, I felt like I needed to talk about it because it was so insane. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I do not talk about it in my act because it's depressing. It's redundant. It's, I want it to be over. I, I just, I'm trying to give people an escape maybe if they don't love what's going on. So I, I, I don't I don't want to talk about them. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, earlier you were talking when we were talking about the pole dancing stuff. You were talking about how you do like to uh, express body positive uh, kind of feelings and thoughts into the world, and you and you like to talk about those things in your act a little bit. Is there any aspect of what's going on in the kind of socio political landscape of your country that you think is leading to? positive discussions, more outspokenness. It feels that way to me, um, and I I wonder if you have a perspective on that. I do think it's good that people are talking about stuff, but, like, I don't know. I just, it's it's depressing to think about. (laughs) I, I was thinking about Dave Chappelle's latest special. Have you been following the commentary about that comedy special? Yeah, yes and no. I was just struck by how much people thought he should be commenting on certain things or shouldn't be commenting on certain things when he's mostly just trying to tell jokes. I'm not I'm not defending him either, but I was just some of the commentary was so specific about what he was saying and who he was dismissing that I finally stepped back and thought, well, I mean, he's just trying to tell those jokes. Uh, I don't. I have problems with them too, but the, it doesn't seem like the right forum. And I feel like comedy in in the last, particularly since Trump's been elected, it's really been under the microscope for what you can and can't say. Do you feel that as a comedian? Yes and no. I mean, I don't know. I think you can joke about anything as long as it's funny. 
yeah, I think truly as long as something's funny, you can make a joke about it. But then also comedy is subjective. So, like, not everybody's going to like everything you have to say. So, I mean, I don't know. It's hard. I thought I liked most of his special. There was parts I didn't like, but that's with almost every special I've ever watched. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And, and, and it's, you're... Like, it's like a movie. You're not going to like a movie top to bottom. Of course, you're going to find parts that you're like, eh, I didn't like that part or whatever. This part was better than that one. Uh, I just I think it's really just really wild how how much people are following comedy and trying to police comedy and then comedians are angry. It's it's a whole it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, well, that's what I'm that's what I'm kind of getting at. Like, I can't figure out how ridiculous it is. Uh, on some level, I agree with you. Comedy is subjective. I do think people are potentially projecting a lot of expectations, like about historical nuance and you know s people suffering to jokes and that's where i'm i'm on i'm kind of confused as someone who I, I think of myself as progressive but i'm also a comedy fan so for someone like Chappelle to get at the nuances of someone's struggle in trying to tell a joke it seems like a high bar it seems like a lot of expectation for a comedian i mean i don't know joke about what you want to joke about and then if people don't like it they're also allowed to say they don't like it but then again, it's also like, you don't have to watch it. If it's not for you and you don't... If he talks about something that you don't like, you are in control of not watching it. It's not like you were surprised. It's not like Netflix said, uh-oh, we're going to turn on Dave Chappelle. You know how like everyone got that U2 album on, like, on your iPhone? Right, yep. It's not like that. Nobody's dropping this in your lap and demanding that you watch it. You're choosing to watch it. He also says up top, he's like... I talk about things that you might not want to hear about, and you can turn this off. So, like, nobody's forcing you. Right. No, that's fair. I guess, I mean, we're kind of getting into the territory of what people call call-out culture and, and its merits. I mean, have you felt in any way affected by that, that notion of, like, hey, you can't say, Nicole, you can't say that. Like, have you heard that from people? So, I mean, nobody has uh, definitive, definitively been like, you can't say that. But I've, you know, told jokes where it was a bad reaction. And then I have to go back to square one and go, okay, why do I think they had a bad reaction? Why why didn't that joke work? I thought that premise was pretty funny. Um, and I'm, I used to sometimes be like, it's not me, it's you to the audience. But then I'm like, well, if an audience collectively hates a joke, maybe it is me. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, that's what people say. Well, the audience is... I don't know. It's this is a complicated thing for maybe you and I to to delve too deep into, but I do feel like when Trump invoked that, remember the phrase uh, "locker room talk," and and everyone was sure, like, yeah. "Come on, man! That that no one talks like that." And then out of context, I feel like comedy out of context has been villainized for the same kind of conversation. And and that's where I, I feel like I don't know. Maybe it's just a way we're processing information. But I, as a comedy fan. I have concerns and confusion about the state of comedy. That's why I ask you these questions, and I appreciate you trying to feel them. I know it's complicated. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with, like, people talk about PC culture. I don't know if it's that. I think maybe people are more just aware of people's struggles and experiences, and they're like, well, I don't identify with that, and I don't know if you do either, so I don't know why you're talking about it. Hmm. I don't know. It's, uh, it's, uh, I, it's interesting. But but by and large, this kind of conversation that we're having, it doesn't seem to impact you and your, let's say, your kind of comedy. Is that what you're saying? Like You haven't really been personally affected by it as a performer. Correct. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. So we've mentioned a, a couple of your projects. You're coming to Toronto. Is there anything in Toronto that you look forward to doing? You mentioned thrift stores in Edmonton, and I think you just said that Montreal is very French, which is neither here nor there. But Toronto, are you looking forward to anything in Toronto? Um, I haven't spent much time in Toronto. I do only think I'm there for like a day or two, so I don't know how much I'm going to get in. Okay. But yeah, I'm just like looking forward to seeing the city. Okay. What else is kind of coming up next for you besides these tour dates? Uh, any other projects? Um, just working on my podcast, Why Won't You Date Me? My podcast, Best Friends with Sashir. Um, I have another podcast called 90 Day Bay that's on Patreon where me and my friend 
Marcy recap 90 Day Fiance and then a podcast where I sometimes host if I'm not busy with my friend Mono Gappian called Drag Her where we talk about RuPaul's Drag Race. So a lot of podcasts, you know, filming shit. That's weird. You you went from not wanting to do a podcast at all to doing every single podcast. Yeah, I know. Are you okay? Is it? Are you too busy? Do you feel too busy? I think I'm okay. You seem okay to me, if I might say, from my perspective. I, I, I appreciate your, you and your work, and I, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, where can people go to learn more about you beyond looking up all those podcasts? Um, I have Instagram, Twitter, at Nicole Byer. Um, I also have a website with my tour dates and stuff, and you can like search me on YouTube, but my website is NicoleByerWasTaken.com. The brilliant, you lost, that's a great domain name, if I might say. That's a good one. Thank you. Nicole Byer was taken by a woman <laughs> who tried to get me to pay her $10,000 for the domain name. Yes, this has come up on this show a number of times from people of, of your stature, where they get fleeced. People try to fleece you. Yeah, I thought it was really wild. I was like, 10000 U.S. dollars? And that was her second offer. Her first one was 20000 I was Lord. like, you've got to be shitting me. That is weird. Anyway. Well, Nicole, I will not fleece you. Uh, I hope this call was mostly free. Thank you so much for it, and I wish you the best of luck with everything going forward. Thank you. It is quite unusual in this day and age for me to combine two separate interviews in one episode, but I did it for you. I thought it made sense. I hope you enjoyed that. Very special thanks to Andy Kindler and Nicole Byer for being on this, the 497th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the E1 Podcast Network and is available on all iOS and Android platforms and things like Spotify, YouTube, Audio Boom as well. Oh, by the way, if you've heard this spiel many times before, stay tuned. I have a little bit of an announcement about the Patreon I have some Patreon incentives. Maybe you'll be interested in them, so stick around for that. But anyway, I'm going to keep going. Uh, What was I saying? Oh, yeah, the show. If you can't find an episode of the show that you're looking for on any of those platforms I mentioned, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter, please visit my website, which is vishkana.com, and that is spelled exactly how it sounds, vishkana.com. You can't get it wrong. You'll figure it out. I, I trust you. You can like Creative Control on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Vish Creative, or follow me at Vish Khanna. You can listen to a radio show version of Creative Control on Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time around the world at CFRU.ca or on an actual radio at 93.3 FM if you're in or near Guelph. Okay, the Patreon situation. You can go, if you like, to patreon.com slash Control. To make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going. All of those donations are hugely helpful to keeping the show going. It's a, it's, a, it's a small amount, but I'm trying to build it. And uh, here's what I've done uh, recently, and I, I wonder if this is going to appeal to you. I have added a new tier, $6 or more now. If you, if you donate $6 or more a month, you will now receive exclusive access to my archive of interviews preceding the Creative Control Podcast. I've went through my digital audio files, and so far I have found interviews with Vic Chestnut, D.A. P- Pennebaker. I just, the first thing I posted out of respect for the late D.A. Pennebaker, he just passed away, filmmaker, documentarian, worked with Bob Dylan uh, quite a bit. So I posted that on my Patreon for people who have posted $6 or more. A nice chat I had with him in 2007. But also in the archives, Patty Smith, Nick Cave, Killer Mike, Sufjan Stevens, Donald Glover, Ice-T, Laura Balance, Arcade Fire, Fugazi, Mark Marin, Mavis Staples, Magnetic Fields, Wayne Coyne, Sage Francis, Patton Oswalt, more Will Oldham interviews, Michael Ian Black, Buck 65, Yola Tango, Van Dyke Parks, Harmony Corinne, No Means No, Jizza from Wu-Tang Clan, more Steve Albini interviews, it's all there. So please, I'm going to try to post a couple of those a month for people who donate $6 or more to the Patreon page. So if that intrigues you, go, please, to patreon.com slash Control and pledge $6 or more for exclusive content. Thank you very much. And also, thank you to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton for their in-kind support for this show. 
As always, thanks to my good friend Jim Guthrie for uh, letting me use some music of his on the show. You can learn more about him at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you very much for listening to this podcast and subscribing to it and telling your friends about it and talking about it. It's all very helpful and meaningful to me. I will talk to you very soon. Goodbye for now. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.